Well, hello and welcome back to uh, our podcast again. Uh, I'm Joseph McCarthy of Irish Abroad and I'm joined again by Mark Kennedy from uh, Hawkeye Psychic. Um, we had planned on discussing the Ireland's playoff against Slovakia, the under-21 qualifier for the European Championships, and even looking at the under-17 uh, elite round qualifiers for the summer's UEFA under-17 championship. But you know what they say, man plans and God laughs. And well, we all know what happened after that. So instead, we're going to follow up our last series of podcasts with a look back to the previous decade from 2000 to 2009. Um, hello, Mark. Um, looking forward to discussing it with you. Yeah, hey, Joe. Not too bad now. Yeah, unfortunately, with how things are going at the moment globally. Uh, yeah, but this should be an interesting kind of history tour back, back in time. Yeah. So if we just take people back to the the where things were in the beginning of 2000 and maybe we can uh, go from there so uh, Ireland had failed to qualify for Euro 2000 after a playoff against Turkey a one-all draw at home and a nil-nil draw in in Bursa meant that uh, Turkey would go ahead go on to uh, Euro 2000 uh, with the boys in green missing out uh, that second game was somewhat controversial in that the, the RTE couldn't get the, the rights for it to be to be broadcast in Ireland, and there was even talk of uh, uh, on Taoiseach getting involved at one point, but it never happened, and I actually ended up listening to it on the radio in, in, a, in a friend's house. So, after uh, missing out on the, the European Championships again, and it was now uh, you know six years since our, our last international tournament in, in USA, we were waiting on the, the draw for the World Cup in 2002 in Japan and South Korea. Um, and when the, the draw was made, we were facing the Netherlands and Portugal as the top two seeds, or such as the third, followed by Estonia, Cyprus, and Andorra um, as the bottom three seeds. And I think the initial reaction was that, you know, we were definitely capable of taking uh, three points from every game against the bottom three seeds and then maybe nicking something against the top two seeds and hoping that they could possibly take points off each other. So, Mark, what did you think of the, of the draw? Yeah, draw was pretty interesting. I mean, we had two big heavyweights in the Netherlands and Portugal. And then, as you say yourself, we had the likes of Estonia, Cyprus, Andorra uh, for company as well, which we would have been expected to win. But again, these were banana skin fixtures, just in terms of how these teams would probably set up. But as you say yourself, Joe, we were pretty much depending on Portugal, Netherlands, potentially cancelling each other out in their fixtures and hoping to make a few results on the road and, and get a result at home in Lansdowne. Yeah. Well, before the qualifiers kicked off, we faced a series of friendlies. Uh, first, uh, the Czechs were dispatched 3-2 at home before losses in Greece and Scotland. And then finally, uh, we returned to the US for another US Cup tournament facing Mexico, United States, uh, and South Africa. Now, the results in these games, good, bad, not great. I think we, we did beat the Czech Republic 3-2, in a, in a, which was a, a positive result, but then this was followed up with losses to Greece and to Scotland. And then finally in the U.S., you know, we opened the, the U.S. Cup with two draws against Mexico and the United States before finally uh, beating South Africa 2-1. But uh, what these games, I think, gave the team a chance to recover from the, from the playoff and, you know, we, we've, we've all experienced the, the hangover over the, the failure to qualify um, ahead of our, our opening two qualifiers are argue, are almost definitely our most difficult two qualifiers. First away to the Netherlands in Amsterdam, uh, followed up uh, a month later by Port facing Portugal in Lisbon. Now, we did go 2-0 up against the Netherlands, um, which I think shocked them a little bit before, you know, they came back with a, a very, very late equaliser from Giovanni van Bronckhurst, which took, to be fair, did take a, a, a wicked deflection on its way past uh, Alan Kelly. But the the, the following game uh, in Lisbon against, uh, uh, against Portugal, we went 1-0 down, but we did, you know, Matt Holland equalised, perhaps, you know, foreshadowing what would happen in, in Japan uh, 18 months later. And I think that this showed that you know maybe the the team had a a bit more grit, a bit more fight about it. It was the kind of game where you felt under, you know, yeah, not 
under not necessarily the previous managers, but maybe under Mick in the beginning of his reign, we after going one and down away from home, we go on to lose. So, Mark, how did you feel after the the, the first two qualifiers? Yeah, given given the, the schedule that we had to start this campaign, um, I was rather happy with the two points from two games. Mm. You can say, you know, with the Netherlands game, you know, the Dutch are such a quality side with the likes of Van Bronckhorst, the Boers, you know, the quality all over the pitch. And for us to be 2 0 up was magnificent, but you always knew that Netherlands would have their kind of period of dominance. And that last 20 minutes, particularly, was, you know, tough from an Ireland perspective, particularly that deflected goal for, Bronc- for Van Bronckhorst right at the end. But again, we got a, a point out of there that maybe we thought at the start of the tournament we would not have got. And then, as you said yourself, Joe, the Portuguese game, it was really kind of a, a great performance in terms of the resiliency, termination of the side to kind of come back from being 1-0 down after 57 minutes to grab that equaliser on 73 from Matt Holland. And again, looking at the schedule, these two road trip games seem to be the toughest on paper and it really did bode well for the rest of the campaign. So after coming back from Portugal with uh, with a point, we faced the first of our of the, the three uh, lower seeds, if you like, from the from the group in Estonia and came away with a two 0 win. Um, you know, this was our first our first home game uh, since uh, losing to to Scotland the previous May. Um, I think, and it was followed up uh, a month later by uh, a three 0 win in a friendly against Finland. And you know, we were on a little bit of an unbeaten run. Uh, we were facing into to three qualifiers against uh, lower ranked sides, uh, Cyprus, and then a double header against Andorra. Um, we kind of thought that these were games we were definitely going to get three points from, um, and maybe build up ahead of steam against the returning game against Portugal uh, in June. Uh, so you know, the you know Cyprus, uh, Finland were defeated three 0 Cyprus were beaten four 0 uh, in Cyprus, um, Andorra were beaten 3-0 and then 3-1 uh, in Dublin before we faced uh, Portugal again. And uh, I think looking back on this game, um, this was one of the great individual performances uh, from Roy Keane, which I think we come to expect from him at this stage. But uh, not only that, uh, Stephen Carr's performance at right full um, was just phenomenal. Uh, it's one of the... Uh, I, Perhaps a little overshadowed by by Roy Keane's performance and his goal, um, I think uh, it's uh, something that maybe maybe needs to be mentioned as as well. So uh, we had two two of our toughest games out of the way, and had taken two uh, uh, two points from the the top seeds Portugal, which meant that we had to face the Netherlands um, in September. So, Mark, did you think at that stage? That we we were still on track for qualifying. Yeah, I was I'm pretty optimistic at that stage. I mean, for uh, the Estonia game, the Cyprus and Dora games, they were very professionally, um, you know, very professional performances. Particularly the Andorra game at home, because when Lima put Andorra ahead after 33 minutes, um, that could have signaled a few alarm bells. But uh, the manner in how the Republic of Ireland went about their business thereafter, Kilban, Kinsla, and Breen with the goals. It really did set us up lovely for that June international. You know me, Joe, uh, Joe, these June internationals, I always have a little bit of um, anxiety levels, particularly end of season. But as you say yourself, Roy Keane, Stephen Carr really did shine on the day. We were, I think, a little bit unlucky not to win the game. I mean, Lewis Figo was quality uh, during the encounter as well, equalised. But I think Republic of Ireland would have been probably a little bit disappointed coming away with without the three points. There, but again, one of our top seeded ranking opponents, and again, it was all to play for going down the stretch. Yeah, I think as well, if you look at that, uh, that Portuguese side, there was you know, there was quality from from front to back. You know, uh, uh, you mentioned Figo there, who was you know, one of the top midfielders in in Europe at the time, but also you know, Rui Costa, Pauletta, um, they were to bring Joe Pinto off the bench, you know, um. So maybe you know we another it was another game where we had gone ahead but not but failed to win but I think given the 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 side that we were facing well no I don't think anyone was too too disappointed and again uh, just like I said the the performance from from Keane 
uh, leading from midfield and also, as, a, as I mentioned, uh, O'Carr in defence. Um, I know you don't expect a, excuse me, a fullback to influence a game, but um, it was as perfect a performance from uh, a fullback as I've ever seen. So with Portugal out of the way, um, we faced Estonia once more, uh, this time away from home in Tallinn, um, and beat them 2-0. So we were now on a, an, an unbeaten streak stretching back uh, a year, um, with the Netherlands looming large on the horizon in September as the, the, the qualifier that would possibly decide the group. Um, but before that, we had a friendly against Croatia, which I think, uh, which is where John O'Shea made his debut and unfortunately gave away a, a, a late penalty. Um, but uh, you know, and also uh, Clinton Morrison scored in his uh, on his debut. Um, and I think it was it was one of those August friendlies that doesn't really mean anything. You know, I, I, we were happy to get the draw, and you know, uh, it was a. Uh, a build up for the the real game, the the Netherlands in in September. Now, anyone who watched that game can tell you exactly where they were. Um, I can tell you that we were refused entry to uh, a bar in Limerick because we were wearing football jerseys. Um, we looked incredulously at the at the bouncer, and he said, "You can't come in. You're wearing football jerseys." Um, so we went to a sports bar instead. Uh, we uh, watched this. Uh, they had screened that the bar was thronged. Um, they had screens everywhere. And uh, we actually found a space under a set of screens, but facing another set of screens that were behind the bar. Um, and it was just one of those one of those performances that the longer it went on, the more you thought we might actually get we get something here. Not just a draw, but we might get a win. And then Gary Kelly got sent off. So, Mark, what are your recollections of the game? Maybe up to that point. Yeah, that was the same day of the U2 gig, wasn't it? In it was. The, they played uh, two weekends in a row. Um, yeah. And yeah, the, the second gig was taking place that day. Yeah, uh, I, yeah, I was down in Limerick anyway, back in the family home, um, watching it. And yeah, no, it was the, the atmosphere was unbelievable there in Lansdowne Road for the day. Um, you know, the colour of the Dutch fans as well, the orange. You know, it was such a superb atmosphere, I'd imagine, if you were in the ground. But same as yourself, Joe, to a man, I thought Roy Keane, again, was absolutely world-class sensational. Just marshalling that midfield and really kind of pushing players on forward. Even after Gary Kelly scoring, it was very much kind of on the front foot. And as you say yourself, Joe, as the second half kind of wore on, the more the confidence started to build in the, crowd, in the Irish crowd, the Irish players. And you could see the, the Dutch players kind of taking a kind of step back a bit in terms of um, the, the opposition and the fixture. So when McAteer's goal went in, uh, it was absolute bedlam, really, to be honest. It was such a quality finish from Jason McAteer. And to be perfectly honest, Robert Farron could have scored another another goal, um, you know, really to kind of secure it. But it did kind of leave a bit of a nervy um, last five minutes. Uh, but again, the the Dutch were literally second best for a large portion of that game, and I mean it was a totally deserved win. Yeah, I think uh, something that a lot of people uh, talk about as well was the last kind of ten or fifteen minutes of the game, where Ireland, despite being a man down and, and a goal up, were remarkably comfortable uh, playing the keeping the ball in their own half. And uh, was it Louis Van Gaal was still the manager at that time, and he decided to throw on four strikers. Uh, but none of them knew how to win the ball in midfield. So uh, Ireland just kind of played in front of them. Um, and, you know, at the end, as you say, one of the great performances, one of the great results in Irish football history. Um, Jason McAteer uh, recently posted a, a photo um, of the goal that I hadn't seen before on Twitter, kind of from from just behind the, the far post. Um, you can see he's just taken the shot and you can see... Uh, the the uh, Van der Sar and goals uh, is realised it just gone past him it's going in and there's nothing he can do about it um, so many stories uh, as well about what 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 happened that day um, that uh, Jason McAteer was uh, was invited by uh, by Bono to fly to Slane that there was a there was a, a helicopter made available to him um, uh, another story that. 
uh, Matt Holland, uh, his son, once his son realized that he was playing uh, against the Dutch, his son asked him to get, I think, uh, Van Nistelrooy's jersey. So he asked one of his teammates at Ipswich, um, who, who was Dutch, um, how, would, how do you say, can I have your jersey in, in Dutch? Um, and he asked Van Nistelrooy uh, at, the, at the game for it, which distracted him a little bit um, at a corner. Um, and then, you know, completely missed the ball because, you know, someone had spoken to him in, in Dutch. Um, but uh, I think that that results really set us up then. We knew at that stage that um, we had one more qualifier. It was at home against Cyprus where, where we were expected to win. And uh, a win would guarantee a second place. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, absolutely, Joan. I think it was a pretty professional performance from the first whistle. Yeah. against the Cypriots, Savini and Hart's early strike and then Niall Quinn had put the, bed, uh, the game to bed after about 11 minutes and I know David Connolly and Roy Keane added further goals but again it was a very comfortable performance kind of set by the early tone, the early tempo uh, but I think going back to even the Netherlands game as you say yourself, you know that even the passing it was probably one of the be- best passing performances I've seen from the Farron squad, particularly in that Mick McCarthy era it was just the way that they were able to retain, contain the ball, particularly with 10 players. It was very impressive. And given the opposition that they were playing, it's, uh, it was a superb to see. Yeah, and uh, uh, Noel Quinn's goal against Cyprus uh, broke Frank Stapleton's long, long held record um, uh, of 20 international goals. Uh, but I think at that stage already, um, Quinn uh, was acknowledging that. Robbie Keane would go on to break his record, and it was uh, even at that stage it was a matter of uh, of when and uh, and not if. So uh, we already knew at that uh, at that stage that we would be facing uh, a team from uh, from Asia in in the final in the playoff, um, and when it came out, it was Iran. Um, so there will be two games home and away in November. The first game uh, we won two 0 but. It felt like a very, very nervous affair. Uh, I think that there was more of an onus on not conceding as much as there was on, on scoring. And Shea Given made a, a phenomenal save at, at 2 0 to keep a, a clean sheet. Um, you know, Iran, they wouldn't have a lot of well known players, but uh, uh, in the in the striker, uh, Ali Dai, yep. who had, has, you know, would go on to score more than 100 international goals. He might not be a, uh, he might not have scored many against top sides, but he was an international goal scorer. Um, and I think the the two nil win made us feel safe, comfortable, maybe uh, going into the uh, the the return game in in Iran a few days later. Um, but I remember watching that game uh, in the sports bar in UL and. Um, being really, really nervous for 90 minutes. Yeah, likewise, Joe. I just moved to Boston and the USA uh, for that second, uh, the second leg, and that cauldron, the Azadi Stadium, 100,000, wasn't it? Yeah. It, it was, at, and you know, and I think there was only a few hundred Irish supporters in the crowd. But yeah, my distinct impression of that when we were down in um, North Station watching that game in Boston, God, it was incredibly nervous. I mean, granted, it was two 0 but the Iranians had shown glimpses and lands on road that they were big they were physical they were well organized and they were going to come at Ireland and they certainly did I mean Ireland did control affairs for certain parts but again Iran did have good possession maybe they were taking a few pot shots from 30-40 yards out but um, yeah God that injury time in 90 minutes when that Iranian goal went in it felt 10 minutes really to be perfectly fair um, but I was so relieved when that final whistle blew Thank I think everyone was, and uh, David Connolly had hit the side netting um, a few minutes beforehand, um, and everyone in the bar thought it was a goal, and then it wasn't. Um, so you went from the, the elation of celebrating a goal to the, the shock and horror of realizing that nothing had changed, and you know we're going to be we were still facing a, a, a militant home crowd and a, a, you know a confident uh, confident team. Um, the the goal at the end. Uh, yeah, I was kind of thinking, how are we going to do? Uh, how are we going to keep the keep uh, Iran out for the the length of the injury time? And it just kept going. And when you know, when it when the referee finally blew, 
you know, just a sense of relief of elation. You know, it had been, um, you know, USA 94 had been a long, long time ago. And, you know, it was time for this team to, to write its own, uh, write its own legend, maybe, into the history of Irish football. Um, one, and again, you know, stories have come out of the, come out uh, in the, the years that followed after the game that, you know, the, the, the Irish women that were in the stadium were the first women to be allowed into the stadium in 20 years. Um, that uh, on the flight out of Iran, they weren't allowed to serve alcohol on the plane until they left Iranian airspace because it's a, it's a dry country. Um, but, uh, you know, with the, with the qualifiers complete, with the playoff complete, with qualification secured, um, we were looking forward to a, a World Cup for the first time since USA. Um, and, uh, and for the draw, when it eventually did come, come you know, we uh, were in a group with uh, Cameroon, Germany and Saudi Arabia um, and feeling positive about it. Um, Cameroon, I think, would go on to win the African Cup of Nations at that time. Uh, but we still were qualif- are confident of, of qualification from the group. Um, what were your uh, reactions to the draw? Yeah, it was a you know it was kind of a fair um, group for everyone concerned, particularly Cameroon and Ireland, particularly. I think would have felt you know their um, their their fixture would be pivotal. Germany would obviously would have been the favourites getting out of that group, and then Saudi Arabia, even though the record in in their continent is second to none, um, would be kind of seen as probably the weaker of the seats. So I mean, it was a fair group compared to other groups within the World Cup. And it all kind of set up nicely uh, for the 1st of June. So before that, uh, we had friendlies uh, against Russia, Denmark and the United States all at home. I think the the performance across the three games was encouraging. You know, we'd seen not just from the the, the core squad, but we'd seen players like Stephen Reid, Colin Healy, maybe put their their hands up for for selection for the the squad. And we knew then if, uh, if injuries uh occurred that you know there were, we there was there was some strong uh some strong players in reserve waiting to come in i think um something goes maybe a little uh a little under under the radar as well as a uh, richie sadler unfortunately making his his one and only international appearance at this time um and then you know the squad is announced it was looking good um and then we fly out to to saipan um, now I don't want to spend too much time discussing Saipan. You know, it's been done to death. It's been in every every footballer's uh, autobiography that's come out in the last twenty years. Um, but if we could maybe have a slightly different view on it, um, we bought new people who had saved for the previous or since the playoff really against Iran to go to Japan. And, you know, the news broke a day, you know, two days before people were due to fly out. And there's even in one case, it broke while he was in the air. Um, We'll never know what could have been. Um, We'll never know. We'll never really know the the real reason. But it happened. and And, you know, we were facing into a World Cup and we just had to deal with it. Yeah, no, exactly, Joe. Um, even in Boston, you were either keen out or, you know, against him. You know, it was it was kind of the the topic of conversation in an awful lot of the Irish bars in Boston. Even the days days after it, it kind of ran long into it. But again, yeah, it's that regret, really, isn't it, Joe? Just the just the performances that Roy had produced to get Republic of Ireland there as well. You know, you're thinking of the Holland game, the Portuguese game, you know, the height of his powers, really, from Republic of Ireland's perspective. It was just very sad to see how it all kind of, you know, all disintegrated, really. But to fair to the squad that was there, they kind of galvanised and tried to move on as best they could. Yeah, so we're going into the opening game against Cameroon, um, who, as I said, were, you know, the African Cup of Nations champions, um, and suddenly, you know, all people wanted to know was how are the team going to react? Uh, and you know, 
you know, we had a midfield, <coughs> excuse me, we had a midfield of uh, of Holland and Kinsler, you know, both solid professional players, uh, both Premier League players, um, but not Roy Keane. Um, and we go 1-0 down, coming to the end of the first half, uh, Patrick Mbama, who had been kind of singled out as, as one of the players to 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 be to be afraid of really um and no one really sure what was going to happen in the second half so uh, yeah we i remember again watching it in a in a bar in limerick and suddenly realizing that uh that Eamon dunphy was wearing the cameroon colors in the rte studio as he delivered his uh, his analysis um and when he was finally asked uh what can be done? And he said, nothing can be done. You know, our, our best, our, uh, the only thing that can be done is on a flight home to Manchester right now. And it kind of stuck in the craw a little bit. Okay, Dunphy's long had a, an axe to grind with the FEI and with Mick McCarthy, but, you know, you're not, the, it just, it probably divided that at best, probably made a bad situation worse. But in the second half, um, we were denied a penalty. I, I can't remember if it was the first or the second half. We were denied a penalty by a handball on the line that went unseen. Uh, I remember Robbie Keane claiming the penalty uh, straight away. And when it was sh- uh, the replay was shown from behind the goals, it was a clear handball. But, you know, we were kind of, and that, when that wasn't given, kind of starting to think maybe this isn't going to happen. But uh, the ball broke loose and I there was no nobody anywhere near it. And I just remember screaming, Matt Holland! <laughs> and Holland uh, from our screen just letters the ball from somewhere out of orbit uh, comes in and letters the ball into the back of the net and suddenly it's one all and we have a chance yeah I mean to, to be fair to, to the team I mean that was a key halftime team talk from Mick McCarthy and the players one nil down to Cameroon after all the shenanigans all the antics that have happened in the lead up to this fixture and it was a key fixture in this group and how they responded uh, Joe and you know we've seen it with Japanese the Rugby World Cup the humidity and the heat and everything else and to kind of keep the tempo and the energy levels up you have to applaud the Irish team that were on duty that night it was just an incredible shift that they put in and that Matty Holland equaliser was just an absolute superb strike and I think it really did galvanise everyone. I think, it, you know, the halftime team talk. I mean, I was in Boston in a house party. God knows what time in the morning it was in Porter Square in Boston. But when that goal went in from Matty Holland, it, there was an awful lot of cynicism about the Roy Keane thing. But as soon as Holland equalised, everyone was on board. Everyone was galvanised. And to be fair to the Republic of Ireland, they were, team on, they were their team on the front foot looking for the three points at the end and on another day could have gotten it. I mean, it was a very encouraging second half performance and Reed did bode well for the Germany game. Yeah. I remember uh, Stephen Reed, who had been a, a late call up to the, to the team after uh, Mark Kennedy had to pull out with injury, had a, a free kick and um, they, it did go, the keeper did catch it, but I think if it had hit him, it would have taken his head off. Um, it was hit that with that much force. Um, so, you know, we did, the first game was out of the way. We've gotten a positive result. You know, it was, I think people were looking at it more as, a, as not a loss, more, more, maybe more than a draw. And facing into the, 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 the best team, the top uh, seed in the group in Germany, who had destroyed uh, Saudi Arabia in their opening game and looked to be on cruise control uh, heading into the second game against, against us. Um, and you know, I think the Germany had suffered. I think from uh, our German football had been suffering a little in in recent years. You know, they'd been they'd been beaten by England. Uh, they'd gone out of Euro two thousand with with a whimper. Um, and they were looking to to bounce back. They were looking to 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 show what they could really do. Um, it wasn't. Uh, you know, by by no means a, a classic German squad, but they still had, you know, they still had Michael Ballack, they still had Oliver Kahn and goals. You know, they had uh, Klose up front, they had uh, Dimar Hamann. It was still uh, a German time, a German team, um, and we knew that they could hurt us. And it only took them, you know, nineteen minutes to get a, a headed goal from Klose. Um And again, we were kind of thinking, 
okay, you know, we've conceded a, a goal, we've conceded the first goal, how can we come back from this? And, you know, we were, for a long part of that game, we were playing the much, much better football. Oh, completely, Joe. Yeah, totally agree with you there. Yeah, we was, you know, close that he always produced in our World Cup finals, didn't he? I mean, his goal ratio in World Cup finals speaks for itself and it was such a quality, close finish. He was so, he was so sharp. But uh, yeah, as you say yourself, Joe, like that particular performance, I think it was probably one of the highlights of the World Cup for me, uh, from an Ireland perspective. I mean, again, the passing, the movement, and the tempo. Yeah, they had Germany on the back foot for long stretches. And, you know, it was just that rub of the green, bit of luck to kind of get something. Uh, was eluding us for quite a, quite a long time until right at the very end. Uh, but I mean, it was a, a, the injury time uh, after 90 minutes was... I don't know where you were watching that game, but I remember where I was in Boston myself and two Limerick guys, all me and then Eddie Fitzgerald. We were we delayed going to work up until about ten o'clock Eastern Standard Time in the States. And the you know, the the flick on and Robbie was there to to hit it. It was just absolute bedlam in our gaff anyway. I don't know about yours anyway, Joe. I watched it in uh what was basically a construction site. Uh I was um uh, I was I graduated um from my the, the extra year in college that I'd done and had taken a summer job uh stripping down a hotel in Limerick. And uh the site manager was no fool. He knew full well that if we could uh find somewhere to go and watch the game, we would go and watch the game. So he made a, a deal with us that if uh, we could get one of the the TVs uh out of storage and get it set up in one of the, the big um well yeah ballrooms where i suppose they'd have they'd have uh weddings um he'd lay on finger food and bottles of coke and all the rest of it so i can honestly say that nothing ever went up as fast on that building site as that tv <laughs> did um and i i just remember sitting on a rolled up carpet there was no seats there was no um but we were we had brought in some of the carpets that there were to be used around the the site for makeshift benches really and just sitting on one of these rolled up carpets and looking at my hard hat and not knowing how I was going to be able to go back to work when I looked up and you know Steve Finnan had was maybe a bit further forward than we'd seen him for the rest of the game and he chipped the ball forward and Niall Quinn flicked it on and I think that's something that maybe uh is one of the underrated sides of, of Quinn's game. He was a very intelligent footballer. He knew how to find a pass. He knew how to, to cushion a ball. And he laid it right into Robbie Keane's path. Um, and he scored one of the, one of the, not one of the great goals, but I think one, it created one of the great moments in, uh, in Irish football history. Um, and I think we all remember the, the, the video clip of, Mick McCarthy standing on the sideline when his jaw literally hits the floor um, because he can't believe what he's just seen. And I don't think any of us could. Oh, completely, Joe. I mean, celebrations were absolutely epic, weren't they? I mean, I think there's various stories on, um, even in the ground, you know, where people were in one section and the, the equaliser went in and they were in a completely different section on the opposite side of where they were. So, uh, yeah, I heard various stories of that when I was in Boston, even guys coming back from um, Japan, you know, it, it was incredible. But it, it was such a smart finish from Robbie Keane as well. He had plenty to do. Oliver Cannon was one of the top class European world keepers at the time as well. And, you know, such a big unit. Mm-hmm. And to kind of really kind of hit him on the near post as well, that took absolute guts to yeah. do as well. Um, but as you say yourself, Niall Quinn, the flick on as well was just, you know, everything the lead up to it was, you know, very precise. And it was totally deserved, though, Joe, wouldn't you agree? It's, you know, that an awful lot of an awful lot of the up-tempo, an awful lot of the better play was coming from Ireland for long stretches in that game. And, you know, it had set us up lovely for uh, the Saudi Arabia game. Yeah, so we we knew... Then going into the Saudi Arabia game, I think that a, a 2 0 win would guarantee us uh, qualification from the group. Um, and we got an early goal uh, from from Robbie Keane to set us on the way, you know. But there was it felt maybe a little anxious until the second goal went in when Gary Breen scored in the second half, um, and then after that. It, you know that that all melted away. We were two 0 up. We were going into the the knockout stages, 
Um, and finally, and then Damien Duff got the goal that I think his performance in the World Cup to that point deserved. Um, you know, he was, you know, he he was still at uh, at Blackburn at the time, uh, still kind of making his name for himself, but just delivered um, delivered on that stage. Completely agree, Joe. <clears throat> you know, Damien was just he was outstanding in that tournament. Anyway, though, wasn't he voted FIFA Player? Of the tournament, or was that kind of an online poll that was? Yeah, yeah. He, but his performances did definitely merit of inclusion in those candidates because you know he's work rate, everything else, and we had so many threats out wide as well. Like you, know, you lead to like Scary Kelly, but Ian Hart as well, glorious foot on him. Damien Duff as well, but he's kind of trickery and he's crossing ability. So, but my by the memory of that game, now <laughs> I was in Kitty O'Shea's in Boston for this. This, I think, was around 7 o'clock Boston time in the morning. I think it was a kind of a midweek morning anyway. But, yeah, it was Saudi Arabia. My God, defensively and goalkeeper-wise, they were just not at the races whenever a ball went into a box. And mm. I think that anxiety, I think, Joe, was really kind of caused by the fact that we had created so many chances after Robbie Keane had scored that opener that we could have been 3-4-0 up at half time. But the more time went on, there was a little bit of anxiety. But then Gary Breen... Popped up with the the second goal, obviously, and I mean it was very comfortable. I mean Saudi Arabia didn't pose any attacking threat, and um, it was just um, you know it was totally deserved in terms of the performances, in terms of the turmoil, the drama, the the anxiety, the pressure leading into that group game. You have to say with that group and the management staff, they have to be they would have felt pretty proud of themselves getting out of that group given yeah. those uh, conditions. Yeah, and our first win in, in the World Cup since beating Italy in uh, in '94 as well. Absolutely, uh, yeah. And of course, legend has it that uh, Gary Breen's performance led to uh, trials with uh, or being scouted by Inter Milan and Barcelona. But I don't think we'll ever get the the full truth there. <laughs> so uh, we've made it through to the to the knockout stages and facing Spain. Um, you know, uh, a team that uh, up till this point. Um, you know they they wouldn't quite hit their 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 peak for another maybe six years, um, but had always a great uh, a great squad, but not a great team. And you know we had played well throughout the tournament to this point, and we felt we could get a result. Um, now it kind of followed the, the the same script as the 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 opening two games against against Cameroon and Germany with with us conceding an, an early goal, albeit a little bit earlier than in those two games with Marientes scoring after after just eight minutes, um, and we were forced to wait uh, a very long time and a missed penalty before uh, uh, another penalty was awarded in the the dying minutes of the of normal time. And Robbie Keane stepping up to score, um, but something that maybe didn't get mentioned a little after that was that uh, Spain actually had to go down to to ten men. Um, uh, there was a player they had already made their three substitutions, and uh, one of their players had to go off with cramp. So we were looking, at, we were facing into uh, uh, extra time, two fifteen minute halves um against uh you know maybe maybe with the momentum on our side after Robbie Keane's equalizer um but just couldn't find that winning goal exactly you know by the memories of that game it was in fairness to Spain they utterly dominated the first half didn't they mm-hmm. you know they're passing a movement and as you say yourself Joe it was a few years later until um Spain really came to came to the top but again you had the likes of Puyol, Morientes, Raul um, Mendieta as well was kind of uh, in a rich vein of form at that stage as well but um, that first half particularly was very very kind of precarious from an Aaron perspective it could have been two it could have been three um, but all credit to Ireland again you know they kind of changed it up didn't they I mean they brought Niall Quinn on for Gary Kelly if my memory serves me right yep. just to kind of change it up get the ball up there a bit quicker and it did literally uh, deliver kind of dividends because the Spanish defensively looked a little bit more nervy as the minutes kind of ticked by there anyway. And also with Damien Duff moving out to the wing as well, um, it kind of posed a little bit more threat. So, and it all kind of led to uh, the penalty really, didn't it? Damien Duff getting tripped by one friend. So, yeah, yeah no, it was, a, a, again, it, again, an awful lot of these Polk Varian performances, that second half was, you know, first half okay, but that second half, they seemed to just grow stature and grow into the game and their fitness and conditioning really did come into the force so it was similar here again 
Yeah. And uh, well, you know, we're facing into the the, the lottery of of uh, penalty shootout. Um, you never know what's going to happen. Uh, Matt Holland said recently that that penalty, the penalty that uh, he missed, is the only penalty where he's ever uh, blasted it. He's only ever um, he's only ever placed. He's always placed a penalty, except for that one. And it came back off the crossbar, and it's the only penalty apparently that he's he's ever missed in his professional career. He hasn't taken many, but it's the only one he's missed. Um, and but even the loss, there it didn't feel like uh, the team were were blamed or there was any recriminations for it. Like you know, they left everything on the pitch. They went out. They played their hearts out. They were beaten by. Are you maybe not a better side, but a team that's, you know, as I say, you know, penalties are a lottery. It happens in football. Um, and we're welcomed home. Uh, I think that's something else that, that, that deserves a mention. When they returned to Dublin, uh, they were given a massive welcome in the Phoenix Park. Uh, so it felt like uh, this really was that they had moved on from what had happened before the tournament. And there were players in the squad that were going to you know bring us to the to the European Championships in, in Portugal in two years' time. So the draw for that had already been made. Um, we knew that we were going to be facing Russia, Switzerland, Georgia, uh, Albania um, uh, in, the, in, our, in our qualifying group. Um, and it was, I think we were in the position of being the top seeds, which, was, uh, which I'm not sure has ever happened before or since. Um, so how did you feel going into those qualifiers? It was a little bit in trepidation on it, to be perfectly honest. And why it was petrified was Switzerland. I just, we never play well against Switzerland uh, at the best of times. And so when I saw them and also Russia, Russia are always an unknown quantity. You just don't know what to expect from Russia until the start of the campaign, whether they're generally interested to get out of their group or not so they looked like two genuine kind of um, opponents that we could have potential problems with and particularly with the World Cup uh, heartache I was wondering if there was a little bit of a hangover going to happen from Japan as well Uh, again the likes of Albania and Georgia again places that are far away uh, from a road trip perspective so again we could have been top seeds, but um, the draw I didn't think was too kind to us, given the opposition that we were given. Yeah, and before our opening game against uh, uh, against Russia, which was in Moscow, um, we felt we had a, another friendly against Finland, um, which was they were dispatched three nil. Uh, Colin Healy scored. Graham Barrett made his debut and scored. Robbie Keane scored. You know, uh, which I think he was the first player in a, um, many, many years to score in uh, four games in a row for Ireland. So, again, the feeling going into the Russia game was we've, uh, we have players who can play good football, we have players who can score, we can go away from home, we can go and get a result. Um, and going to Moscow, like Russia have this ridiculous home qualifying record. They almost never lose at home. And uh, they went two 0 up um, in the first half an hour, and the, suddenly the team just looked completely disorganised. Um, they were played off the pitch by they they weren't being played off the pitch by better players, but maybe a better a better organised team. Um, and you know the it, the game finished four uh, two. Um, but the this was maybe when things started to turn sour. Um, the 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 accusations the that had been leveled against McCarthy when uh, Roy Keane had left was that you know the the preparations were in, inadequate that the the team were being forced to take multiple flights or they would sit in the they would sit in the uh, the normal passenger seats when the the FAI top brass got the first class treatment um and this i think the initial reaction to the to the game in russia was that 
you know, this wouldn't have happened if Roy Keane was here. So, uh, how did you feel after that game? Yeah, it was pretty much a shock. And I think some of the goals that we let in as well, Joel, were not very Mick McCarthy management-esque. An awful lot of free shots, free headers uh, for Russia. Um, it was just the disorganization of it. I mean, in Japan, you could see a team that was very galvanized. You know, we had lost a world-class player in Roy Keane, but the team had galvanized, had worked very hard for each other. But there's was kind of a prevailing team here that maybe cracks were beginning to show, particularly in the playing side of things, where tactical vulnerabilities were being exposed. Certain players were now getting um, a little bit more exposed than what they should typically have been. And again, as you say yourself, Joe, Moscow is a very, very tough place to get anything out of. And uh, to give the Russians a 2-0 start was, um, you know, it was a mountain to climb. But, you know, again, tries Ireland might in terms of, you know, Gary Doherty, Clinton Morrison getting those two second half goals, but then straight away give away kind of a sloppy goal there to seal the game. Um, It was just sloppy. I think sloppy would have been the key word there, Joe, uh, to be perfectly honest on that. And it really did put Mick McCarthy on the back foot, if I recall, the Irish media was starting to hound. They were starting to circle overhead in terms of that Roy Keane, Mick McCarthy, Saipan. All that was starting to bubble up again. They were just waiting for a result like this to kind of pop, to kind of get that back, that debate back into the public arena again. And I think I think Mick McCarthy's kind of post-game comments even reflected it as much. He tried to deflect it as much as he could, but it was kind of the opposite effect, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I felt it was a li- the reaction, the initial reaction was a little over the top. I mean, if we didn't count the the Iran game, you know, we hadn't lost a qualifier since Croatia had beat us in, in September 99. And this was, you know, this was uh, September 2002. This was three years later. Um, so I, I think by the time the, the, the next qualifier against Switzerland had come around a month later, the the reaction had cooled a little bit. People had you know taken a step back, talked. So look, well, it's Russia in Russia. They don't lose games there. They tend to win games there. We get things back on track against Switzerland, and that didn't last long. Um, it was. It I think it only that didn't last until halftime in the Switzerland game. Uh, I know we conceded right on halftime against uh, 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 Haken Yakin, but Switzerland were all over us in that game. You know, I think the fact that it was only one nil at that stage was probably the best that they could have uh, could have hoped for. Um, and you know, Mick McCarthy has talked that he had already made his mind up before full time that he was going to leave after that. The crowd reaction, like there was a venom. And an anger that I hadn't seen before um, in Irish international football. Um, you know, the crowd, I remember at full time, the crowd were chanting for Roy Keane. And it just, it was it was a nasty atmosphere. And I felt sorry for Mick McCarthy, to be honest. You know, he didn't, uh, whatever he had done or hadn't done to to Irish football, he didn't deserve that kind of treatment. No, absolutely correct, uh, Joe. You know, his record preceding that qualification was superb. Got us back on an even keel. Um, but again, it was that elephant under, which was Roy Keane. And yeah. I, I do recall as well in that Russia game, didn't the FIA issue a statement to say that Roy Keane's in forced exile, that they were more than happy for Roy Keane to come back into the setup, which was maybe undermining a bit Rick, Mick McCarthy's managerial kind mm-hmm. of nose there as well. So you had all that playing around. You had the kind of media there kind of circling on that, latching onto that story. And also you had the the home crowd as well, particularly on that game. I do remember that game being in Boston and just texting guys who who were at the game. And they just said that, as you said yourself, Joe, they'd never gone to a game where the crowd just literally turned on the side, particularly after Yakin had scored a goal to make it 1-0. It just seemed as if the players were bereft of confidence with each passing minute. And granted, Ireland did get back into the game. I think it was an OG, wasn't it? Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but again, it just didn't... Th- that kind of atmosphere didn't really, you know, 
dissipate at all. And when Celestini, I think, scored the winner just right on 90 minutes, it really did, you know, an awful lot of people hit the exits pretty quickly as well, if I recall. Um, so, again, it, was, it wasn't a great end to the McCarthy initial era, really. I mean, after World Cup and all the promising results leading into this campaign, it was... It was the t- sending into chaos. To be perfectly honest, yeah, and I think no one was surprised when he when he resigned. Um, and it was you know an 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 awful end to that to his reign. Uh, I remember picking up his World Cup diary uh, in a in a shopping centre in Dublin and just reading the the last the last entry in it where he was talking about how he was looking forward to seeing. Damien Duff and Robbie Keane developing as a as a partnership up front, um, and just thinking that like now he wasn't going to get to see that. So there was only one more game that year, um, uh, a friendly against against Greece in November, um, and uh, finished nil nil. And I think the only the only notable thing about that game was that uh, Glenn Crow uh, made his international debut and the first League of Ireland player. To be captain for the Irish team uh, for sixteen years, um, and played well. I thought you know he had a uh, he was partnered up front with Gary Doherty. I thought they gave the the Greeks something to think about. Um, but yeah, he finished nil nil, and no one cared. Yeah, no, nothing fixture really. I mean, yeah, just uh, move on. I think. Yeah. So that brings us to the end of uh, Mick McCarthy's reign um, as Ireland manager. Uh, we hope you enjoyed our, our, our chat and um, in our next episode we're going to look at uh, Brian Kerr's reign um, he was appointed the, to, two months after uh, Mick McCarthy stepped down uh, in January 2003 and was given the task of uh, resurrecting our qualifying campaign for Euro 2004 and beyond that uh, to qualify for the World Cup in 2006 uh, We hope to uh, talk to you then.